So you've got a podcast or an idea for a podcast or no ideas yet, but you want to start a podcast. Whatever stage you're at, G Media Solutions is here to help you take your podcast to the next level. We are a podcast production company based in Atlanta that specializes in audio recording, video live streaming, and all the elements you need to make your podcast thrive. To fulfill your podcast needs, contact us on Facebook and or Instagram at G Media ATL. Before the start of this episode, I wanted to tell you about another podcast that I am producing for my friend Aisha. It's called the Botanica Podcast. I wonder what she thinks of that pronunciation. But anyway, <laughs> uh, here's a trailer for the podcast. You can subscribe to it uh, anywhere you get your podcast, just like ours. Here it is. Oh, do, un, do, Welcome to the Botanica Podcast. This is your host, Aisha. Listen in as we discuss topics like love, health, sex, relationships, and even alternative medicine. We stream live every Sunday at 8 on Facebook. Listen to the Botanica Podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to stop by our Botanica every Sunday. We have a lot to share. There's another podcast I want to tell you guys about. It's called The Barber and the Bartender. There's a barber, there's a bartender, and they talk about pop culture, sports, music. And of course, because one of them's a bartender, there's going to be a drink of the day and he'll give you a little history on different libations. So uh, tune into The Barber and the Bartender on Spotify, Apple Podcast. They're on Facebook. Here's the trailer for their podcast. Come to my chair, you catch a bait or get a taste. This shit gonna hurt tomorrow. Mm-mm. But it tastes good today. It's gonna hurt right now. I'm at the bar mixing up drinks and conversation. Yeah, no, I'm just a part-time dirtbag. Don't do that. You're a superstar. Yeah, we the ones you talk to and we your favorite. I'm a barber. You know what I'm saying? Niggas, got their, niggas put it got their permanent hair, I know. You know what I'm saying? Just said I just like, my hero. You gonna hurt him in the First of all, niggas that have nappy hair, put permanent hair, have baby hair. It's the barber and the bartender, the best podcast in the nation. By the time you hear this podcast, we hope that we stress you out.
Welcome to By the Time You Hear This Podcast. I'm Greg. I'm Ben. And we are back with episode 207. And there we are on the screen. Hola. Uh, thank you to everyone who's downloaded and listened so far. I had to do a couple of throwbacks. Um, hope you enjoyed them. Uh, I was going to do, well, I won't say which, which throwback I was going to do before I... Uh, landed on fire on the fire festival documentaries but it made sense especially with the news that we just got it made so much sense probably um, too much sense <laughs> yeah i was i was scrolling on instagram and um that video came up again of him announcing fire festival too and okay. i was like oh yeah let's let's do we should do that one so um <laughs> the thing that was weird though I, I don't know if like people are bypassing it but he said the idea for Fire Festival 2, like writing the proposal and everything, came from a seven-month stint in solitary confinement. I've heard you can go we crazy are, in that. We so. already thought he was crazy. We already thought he was crazy. And now you leave him but, alone with his thoughts. So it's funny, though. It's like, if he pulls this off again, how crazy is he really, you know? <laughs> He's probably a genius. <laughs> At this point, like I would, I would be a smart ass, like a judge that's a smart ass and attach double jeopardy to it. If he does it again, like, uh, you know what? Double jeopardy. Like you just, if, just go, go on, go on about your way. I can't believe you did this again. Um, case dismissed. <laughs> you know how there are like, uh, I've only seen this on TV shows, but how there's like a computer analyst or a hacker who's working uh-huh. with the government, but you know, when some other government agency comes and shuts the whole operation down, then and you know, to the 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 analyst or the hacker gets the choice of you can go to jail or you can go home, but you can't use a cell phone, you can't use a computer, you can't yeah. use any device that connects to the internet. Oh God. Like, that is the most while that is terribly unrealistic. But what, can you do that with Billy? We're like, you can't touch money. You can't handle money. You can't, you can't have a bank card. <laughs> you can't create festivals. <laughs> you can't do any of that. You can't even. You can't even hold monopoly money. Like we don't. What's want his you equivalent near though? Because like, <laughs> then you'll have the 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 hacker somehow like take a phone and like rob somebody of all their money they're like that's by pushing some buttons i don't like it's well yeah. the, the, when the hacker is like <laughs> is not allowed to be on any internet connected device is they're normally like that was their past life as a as a hacker like a hacker for for bad <laughs> for evil now they're a, a hacker hat. for good they're a hacker they for good they, the, they, yeah <laughs> they get a job with the fbi or with the with the you know like um penelope on criminal minds you oh, know, she Frank. she was a hacker, <laughs> and then she gets a job with the FBI, pinging people's phones, and you know, using her different algorithms to to find things. So, um, <laughs> that, that, see, that, that happens a lot. Of, like, you you can't have anything that connects to the internet. What if I need to call nine one one? I who has who has a uh, who has a house phone anymore? You just gotta die. You just, <laughs> just, <laughs> just got to die, get robbed, whatever bad thing is going to happen. 
tough. You should have thought about that 10 years ago, Mr. Black Hat Hacker. But I think hacker, hackers always have two phones. They have the phone they bring to work, and then they have one they leave at home. You're not going to, oh, yeah. like, or they have a they have a laptop that they, they leave at home, you know, because they're a gamer or something like that. Because <laughs> it's always, like, at work when they take all those things away. Like, you know they go home, right? <laughs> and they've got <laughs> the most powerful setup. <laughs> more powerful than at work <laughs> and of course if you knock on the door and they got to get rid of everything that's when they start taking the hard drives and put them in the microwave and they start burning everything <laughs> oh that yeah that's mr robot yeah now yeah. you're starting mr robot <laughs> they had the burn protocol <laughs> oh man that's what they do <laughs> i mean i feel like we've described in a non-technical version the life of Frank Abagnale Jr. from Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, he's the analog, I mean, the analog version of of. Yeah, so she did everything, and then they're like, "Yeah, you want to, you want a job? Like what the hell? Like, <laughs> you're so good at this, like, <laughs> you know." Oh man. Um. So let's uh get into some music news. Um. Not meaning to start this off on a somber note, but, um. Rest in peace to Steve Hartwell, lead singer yeah. of Smash Mouth, who uh, passed away uh, last week. Um, uh, or it might have been two weeks week ago. Before. Yeah, because it was the week we didn't record. Okay. Um, and I was like, damn, that's really sad. Because um, he'd had like a rough life over the last like maybe 10 to 15 years. I know he lost his daughter to cancer and he just started drinking heavy showing up to shows drunk like the um i don't know if you saw the video from maybe a few years ago where they just keep vamping all-star the beginning oh, of all-star I think I, we had talked about it we had talked yeah about it. okay okay yeah like that was you know that stuff had kind of become common um and so he dies of acute liver failure on september 4th um at the, at the age of 56 so not even that old you know yeah, so it just seemed like he he literally drank himself to death. Yeah, um, yeah. definitely a, a tragic situation. Um, I know how some people may feel about the success of that band. Know them just for that one song. Um, I can personally say I heard a couple of other songs before All Star. Um, yeah, Walking on the Sun was what. Yeah, Walking on the got Sun. Yeah, that's the one that I know. And, um, Which is so different from everything on that album. Yeah. <laughs> and there was another song, I think, on the same. Um, let me see if I can was find it. The morning it. comes or something. Yeah. Then the morning comes. Yeah. Yeah. That was the that was the other. Um, those that was those are the two songs that I knew of before All Star. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw a video that kind of pointed out, and what a lot of people don't realize is that All Star was not. Um, it wasn't supposed to be on the Shrek soundtrack. Yeah, it was yeah. Mystery Men. <laughs> it w- well, it was it was on the Mystery Men soundtrack yeah. before. But I haven't seen that whole movie. Have you? I haven't either. I haven't seen it either. Okay. Okay. Um. Uh. But it was. I. I. I said. I saw the like the music video for All Star. I didn't know yeah. Dane Cook like was in it. Was in the video because mm-hmm. in it's for the the movie Mystery Men in which they're like ordinary 
people trying to be Weird superheroes. Superheroes, yeah. And in the video, they're having superhero tryouts, and Dane Cook uh, is Waffle, Waffle Iron Man, Man, right? Waffle Iron Man, yeah, or something, something like, like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, the song was originally in Mystery Men. It was written for that movie, and for um, when it for it to be on Shrek, it was just used as a placeholder. When they were trying to get another original, uh, get an original song, either from Smash Mouth or somebody else. Um, but then the the executives are like, no, let's let's leave it in there. You know, someone <laughs> had the bright idea to leave it in there. And now um, it's a meme. The, the song yeah. is a meme that will be a meme forever. Basically, um, you can it's like a modern day Rick Roll. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's reached that status. <laughs> Um, yeah. you know, you could search all star and then it's like all star, but, um, it's, but somebody once told me and it's like, somebody once told me, somebody, somebody. once yeah, told the whole me, way somebody through. once told me, somebody, <laughs> yeah, it's just that through the whole song. <laughs> I, I do like the videos as well, where it's just like some, and then like something bad happens, body, and like, it's like, just <laughs> Like it's just waiting for the body to come in and like you get hit by a pie or something. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's an extremely memeable song. So, yeah. But um, so that that is, you know, kind of weird for that to be the legacy of Steve Harwell. But um, there for those, it has to be it's one of those things where I just think like where people who know him better would know would have more insight onto the kind of person he is and and are saddened that you know they couldn't really help him or you know help yeah. him grieve or anything like that so like i said he literally drank himself to death um but uh rest in peace to him anyhow um so uh definitely like to talk about when people uh sell their catalogs <laughs> because oh yeah because that's been that's been a thing lately it's definitely been a money. thing uh, so the latest star to to sell uh, their catalog is Katy Perry. And uh, Ben, you had uh, the story on that one. Yeah. Uh, so she got a whopping $225 million and she sold it to Litmus Music, um, according to the story in Variety. Um, and Litmus Music looks like it's just a, uh, let's see here. It's just a company that's focused on acquiring and managing music rights. So um, it's funny. I never knew there were that many of these types of companies before we started seeing a lot of this happen. Mm. But I guess there are. I guess it's a lucrative business. Um, I I don't know. Like some people say that her last album, Prism, I think it was, flopped. I don't think it. I mean, I guess maybe it did flop. But it, I guess I think that like that was her. um was it train wreck is the is the Todd in the Shadows uses that term? Yeah. Her train wreck or just derailed her career. I thought it was a good album. So maybe she just thought, hey, I've had a run and you know, let's just see what we can do. Yeah. And it may be that kind of situation where um, you know, she's probably still she's right, she has to be writing new stuff. And, yeah. you know, she's in being considered for, you know, the Super Bowl halftime show. You know, kind of one of the things you want to do is put out some new music when that's happening. Um, but also, you know, maybe that, you know, she's 
she had her run. There's not a lot of interest. She's not doing a bunch of features or anything like that, you know, and you can look at how with um, other artists who have done it. Well, I mean, you know, there's Bruce Springsteen and, and Bob Dylan, and they can get hundreds of millions uh, easy. Yeah, so um, there's just, actually a... No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was saying like with Justin Bieber selling his and getting a lot. Uh, Future mm-hmm. got a good bit. Um, there's someone else we talked we had talked about previously. But, so I've actually got a chart yeah. in front of me that's actually pretty comprehensive. Okay. That Variety put together. So Litmus, this she is the latest. Mm-hmm. Um, Litmus also owns Keith Urban's music. They bought that December 22. Funny enough, this company was founded summer of 22. So this is the so little that, that, definition that's of, they can put out. I don't know if they're paying out this much money at one time, but it just sounds yeah. like, is this like some hedge fund? This? Is this a hedge fund that like just hit that's, at the right time? It's gotta be. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Katy Perry, the latest Paul Simon sold his to BMG for an undisclosed amount. Charlotte Caffey. I'm not familiar with her. To a company called Seeker Music. Oh, it's, undisclosed. Um, Charlotte Caffey. I think that's uh, Go Go Girls. The Go Go's. Okay. Um, Sarah McLaughlin sold hers to a company called Primary Wave. Um, and it, oh, this is a great one too. It's like majority stake in recorded catalog. So it even tells you what they, you know, exactly what they sold, um, mm-hmm. but does not give a um, disclosed amount. Metro Boomin is their most recent one with a disclosed amount to. Shamrock Capital for $70 million. And then, of course, we talked about Justin Bieber. Sold his for 200 Dr. Dre sold his for 200 He sold artists and writer royalties. And then Keith Urban sold his to Litmus Music in December for an undisclosed amount. So, And he sold 100%. So everything he's got, he sold. Mm. Keith Urban was like, this ain't for me. I'll stay on these TV shows <laughs> talking about music. Um, I did not know this one, though. Huey Lewis in the News sold their entire catalog uh, for $20 million. Mm. And Genesis and Phil Collins sold theirs to a group called Concord Music Group for $300 million, September of last year. Now I have read with, um, that may have been brought about that uh, Mm. Phil Collins' health is in decline. Yeah. Um, I think he just played his last concert recently. And I, from what I understand, it was difficult for him to get through. Yeah. So um, we may not see him perform uh, ever again. Um, so I think, I, so with that in mind, that makes me think the next artist that may be selling their um, catalog is Celine Dion. Mm. Yeah. She's got a lot of money, so she could she could afford to hold on to it. I would also assume too, though, that Phil Collins had a lot of money. So I don't know. It's a good point. Um, if, if it comes to that, like like you said, they they <clears throat> both have made a lot of money, um, so they they may just pass it on to their kids. So yeah, um, not necessary. It's not necessary, but it's a possibility. Yeah, I mean it. It makes it makes a lot of sense, though. Truthfully, yeah. um, another. Uh, uh, artists dealing with money as far as like off of their own music. Um, T-Pain uh, said in a video that he uh, let me see if I can find it. Because I think I was just looking at it. That he doesn't make any money off of buy you a drink and we play the uh, 
video here. Buy your drink? It is crazy. Bro, like publishing-wise, I probably get like no money from Buy Your Drink. So all those things that I said in Buy Your Drink that was from other songs, when Buy Your Drink like blew up, blew up, all them people and writers from them other songs said they were owed <laughs> shit from my song because I... <laughs> You're like, fuck. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like paying homage and shit. <laughs> so like yeah. money in the bank, I got money in the bank Scrappy and his writers came for that. Oh, Snappy Fingers, Do Your Step, Lil John and E40 oh, and Scrappy. everybody on that song came for me. Walk It Out. Mente has a credit too, yeah. Yeah, Walk It Out. Monte got a credit on that bitch. I was like, God damn, what's going on? It's our money in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I thought that was hilarious when I looked at it. And so I went and I checked the songwriters officially on um wikipedia so it's got t-pain and young jock of course mm -hmm. but then after that jonathan smith that's little john, john. Dale richardson that's a uh, little scrappy and then earl stevens that's aka 40. 40 all have credits <laughs> they came for their money man <laughs> so yeah that split one two three four five ways Varying degrees of points. I imagine T Pain still has the most amount of points on it, but I'm pretty uh, it sure. Probably, it, it, well, you say he doesn't make any money. So, yeah, especially it, in the streaming age, definitely. You know, that's one of those songs that kind of came out right at the tail end of radio being significant. Yeah. So, like, he's probably, you know, he's looking at streaming money, which is next to nothing. Like, unless you're like getting, like, you know, hundreds of millions of streams close to a billion i can't imagine you're making much so yeah and no one's playing this on the radio anymore so <laughs> oh. um i uh and, and it kind of reminded me of um and we may have mentioned this before that with um with uptown funk um oh, yeah they had to give Trinidad James writing credit mm -hmm. uh, because they, they they interpolated, or it might have been a different a different word, but they or they sampled at the very least uh, all gold everything uh, lyrically, mm -hmm. and then um, I may have sent the video to you before, but uh, the guy broke down the song about how basically the whole song is interpolation on top of interpolation. Oh, yeah. On top of interpolation. <laughs> uh, so. Um, Even the what the Uptown Funk You Up from the Gap Band? Yeah, they got that from the Gap Band. Yeah. Um, yeah. They got the uh, the intro from another song. Um, they got the guitar lick from another song. Uh, they got hey, the horn. Mark riff. Ronson only steals from the best. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's interpolation on top of interpolation. Uh, so. Um, so it's funny because yeah. like I remember when um, that song "Hey Hey You You Girl Girlfriend" by Avril Lavigne came yeah, out, yeah, and and someone cited this obscure song from the seventies, and I was like, okay, um, Doctor Luke, aka Tyson Trax, wrote this song. He doesn't strike me as the person that has that level of musical education to go back and steal from that. So that's why I was like, so that's why I I don't believe that. Mark Ronson, however, has is, the acumen. Yes. He is school. <laughs> he loves this stuff. And it is, and it is evident in everything he does. Like, he loves funk. 
and he loves old funk. He loves 80s funk. He loves 70s funk. He loves stuff from Stack Soul in the 60s. He loves that stuff. So, like, he if I knew him, he couldn't look at me and say, I, I'd be like, it's, I didn't. Like, I, 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 stop lying. No, yes, no, <laughs> no. We don't believe yes, you. Yes, you did. <laughs> you have all the Gap Band albums. We can see them <laughs> on the shelf. <laughs> oh god you went out and bought a top box talk box the first time you heard roger and zap i know who you are i know who you are you have a poster of steve cropper in your bedroom i know who you are so he couldn't convince me i would believe every single he stole it and he can't convince me otherwise he can't um, and, and i also know yeah. he's the type of person where it wouldn't be because he has such a deep appreciation I also could never accuse him of appropriation because the guy just loves the music too much. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, that's his personality. So that's funny. though. I, <laughs> I want to find that video. now. <laughs> just have him own up. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> um, and an, another more recent example is with, um, um, with levitating. Dua Lipa's levitating. Yeah. Uh, I think that even though it's a band that no one had heard of or has heard that song or anything like that, too close, too close. It's too close to to where they don't have a case. They have a case, so yeah, absolutely. Um, but you guys got to be careful with with that the sampling versus interpolation because um, you might not make any money off of your biggest hit. And for those who will, if they know the game, they will take advantage of something like that. You can ask uh, the Verve Pipe. That's the, and, the poster um, freaking child. <laughs> <laughs> and anybody who has sampled Sting or the police. Yeah, Sting is relentless, dude. Sting is like, can you imagine how much more money Diddy would probably have? <laughs> 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 if it were for Sting, <laughs> he might yeah. serve, he might pass he m- might pass Dr. Dre or whoever's in front of him. If he just he just mm. Mm-mm-mm. And uh, be sure to clear the sample, on, and uh, otherwise you'll end up like Lord Tariq and Peter Guns, uh, yeah, aka Walter Becker and Donald Fagan. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! So yeah, I don't know why this is so funny to me. On Lil Scrappy's Wikipedia page, it says Lil Scrappy in two thousand seven, and in front of him is an Xbox three hundred and sixty. The most oh. 2007 picture. <laughs> well, Riley, I did see this picture of. Um, oh God! I think it was LeBron. LeBron in his. Uh, it might be his rookie year or his second year, and they're getting the team's getting off the bus. They're on a road trip or whatever. He is holding a PS3. Oh my God! And like four controllers, wired controllers. <laughs> And he's, he doesn't oh, even have it in a bag. God. He's just holding everything in his hand. They had wireless controllers back then, though, didn't they, for the PS3, didn't they? Were they, they wireless by then? They might have been. Because I skipped the, for the PS3. PS3. For the PS3, I think, yeah, they had, they had wireless controllers. But for people who may not have read, LeBron is notoriously cheap, so he wasn't going to yeah. pay extra <laughs> for wireless controllers. Apparently, still today, the, he 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 has the free Spotify with the commercials. That blows my mind, dude. You're about to be a billionaire. <laughs> and you know what and he'll say? Like, That's how I became a billionaire. Hmm? See, I wouldn't spend it so frivolously. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> oh god he took that episode of the simpsons with bill gates literally <laughs> oh god i didn't get here by writing checks <laughs> oh god it was a good episode yeah so we had the the vmas um last week something like that Let's it came across from. something on on tiktok and i was like oh They'll still exist. <laughs> so this them. was, um, yeah, this was last Tuesday, actually. Um, and uh, so music videos are still being made. Um, so they had the, uh, with their performers, um, that a 50th anniversary of hip hop medley. And... Uh, that featured uh, Lil Wayne, Cardi B. Um, wait, was that the medley? No, no, no. The medley was run, uh, DMC. Run was not there, so it was just DMC. Um, Dougie Fresh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, Lil Wayne, LL Cool J, Nicki Minaj, and Slick Rick. Um you know, this is how I look at it with the with these uh, celebrations. You're only hip hop has become so vast in fifty over fifty years that you can't encompass the whole fifty years in a few minutes. Mm-mm. Even if you had you know one art, if you tried to do it like for five minutes and had one artist that defined a particular era. There's more than five eras. There's more than five styles. There's more than five regions. So it's, it's still kind of (laughs) half-assed. And it looks like it was New York was heavily represented. (laughs) Yeah. So we got New York. This is New York. New Orleans, New York, New York, and New York. Yeah. It doesn't... Yeah, this is great, but I think there more, more would have to be done. Like, it's more complex and diverse as far as celebrating 50 years of hip-hop. It's more diverse than these artists. Mm-hmm. And even if you doubled the artists, it's more diverse than that. So you're not going to sum it all up in a few minutes. And I feel like it's Mm-mm. insulting to do that anyway. But um, other than that, let's look at the uh, awards that were given. A lot of music videos I haven't seen. Um, so for video of yeah, the year, any of these. went to Taylor Swift for Antihero, a song I actually still haven't heard. Um for and that also won song of the year. Uh Taylor Swift won artist of the year. Best new artist went to Ice Spice. Um push performance of the year, Tomorrow and Together. Is that a, is this push a K-pop group? Performance yes. of the year. Yeah, that's a K a K-pop group. Um What is push though? That's weird. Okay. Is that like social media something cuz I'm seeing some of these songs are 
I TikTok songs. I don't know what that is. But I don't know. Yeah, me either. Um, best collaboration was uh, Carol G and Shakira. Shakira won, uh, received the Video Vanguard Award. I'm sorry, the Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award. Um, Taylor Swift, best pop video. Nicki Minaj, best hip hop video. Uh, all right. Uh, SZA won best R&B. Uh, Stray Kids won best K-pop. Um, Anita won best Latin. Manskin or Maniskin. Um, oh, I do. I know this song. Won best <laughs> rock video. Uh, Lana Del Rey won the best alternative. Rima and Selena Gomez won best Afro beats. Um, Dove Cameron won best video for good. Uh, Taylor Swift won show of the summer. I guess that's for live performance. Blackpink won group of the year. Um, John Cook, which is who is a, a K-pop singer, he was uh, of well, uh, he's in B- in BTS. One song of the summer, a song I haven't heard. <clears throat> That's a uh, okay. <laughs> and Taylor Swift won well, album of the year. Why well, was Fast Car in for song of the summer? Like I feel like that's not a song of the summer. That's just a song that happened to come out. They the just felt like oh, we let's put a country song in here because probably that's how country music fans feel about MTV that they're underrepresented. I mean, that's just my yeah. guess. That's so. That's yeah. That's just so weird. <laughs> um, and um, then they have the technical, um, the technical awards, and as, as I said, Shakira. Uh, received the Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award and Diddy received the Global Icon Award. So, um, yeah, and it included voting um, by way of the uh, MTV.com. You had to have an account <laughs> in order to vote. I'm pretty sure people are making multiple accounts. And you. Um, the second round of voting was via the Instagram story for certain categories. And then, and then they had brackets for the next round of voting. I'll give, I'll give it to MTV, man. They're keeping up with what's popular and engaging with people in a way that I never thought that they would to keep themselves relevant. So I'll, I'll give them that at least. And it was hosted by Nicki Minaj. That's weird. All right. Is, sure. is this a warm up for her to host the Grammys or something? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, up until when she finds out she's not getting paid. Oh snap! Hold the on, Gram- the, Grammys the Grammys don't pay you to host. The Grammys don't pay you to host. Ugh. Remember, I think I told you about that when they tried to get Tiffany Haddish to to host. And uh-huh. then she found out she wasn't getting paid and they're like, you're getting paid in exposure. I'm like, this is not. <laughs> that, that belongs on the subreddit choosing beggars. That's what that... <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, so another story. Um, exposure, man, please. <laughs> so uh, we'll touch on it on as, as briefly as possible. But uh, Oliver Anthony <laughs> in the news again. 
this time for um, beating a black man. Let me stop. (laughs) 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 I'm kidding. Um, So, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, you go ahead. Anyway. So he was uh, scheduled to play in Knoxville, and and then he suddenly wasn't on the bill. Uh, it would be for the Cotton Eye Joe. Is this the festival? Yeah, and that's the name of the venue, which is hilarious. Oh, okay, the name. Okay, that's the name of the venue. Um, and yeah, he was scheduled to play there on the twenty seventh. Um, and he sent out a basically he sent out a video that he did not agree with the amount of money that they were charging for this show which was going to be um, $99 a ticket. Mm. Um, and then there, were, there was also a concert meet and greet um, combo ticket that you could buy for $199. Um, so his manager slash agent, uh, it was found essentially that he was to blame. It's a guy that, you know, one of those guys like, you know, that Oliver knows, I guess, from, from the old days, from before the money. <laughs> <laughs> Granted, I have no clue how much he's made, but I mean, he's a guy who is a he's a plumber. He's just a dude that Oliver Anthony knows that um, I guess, you know, he's trying to be the West Virginia version of MC Hammer. <laughs> and it's like I want to I want that someone should pull him aside and be like, bruh, like, do you know how much money MC Hammer has right now? Exactly. Don't do this. Like, go hire some people that know what they're doing. What was that? What would you say? Like Hammer said. Like some dude just standing on the side. Oh, man, side, what you side doing, of man? stage like this. Hammer said, <laughs> have a job. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be, <laughs> this could be Oliver Anthony. Some so, dude just so standing this, so, there. So this guy's trying to help Oliver Anthony save West Virginia. <laughs> See, Hammer was just trying to save Oakland. <laughs> Oliver Anthony tried to save an entire state. <laughs> Man, wait, why are you just standing there? Oliver heard I had no job. <laughs> it's, gonna be, it's gonna be like 200 people just standing there because the because the the plant closed. <laughs> I'm sorry. It should be funny, but it is. But yeah, she was just a plumber. And he was going to be his manager. And um, this dude asked for like $120,000. It's like, that's a lot of money, bro. Um, so the oh, only way for them to... He asked for that, that was, plus two nights hotel accommodations. Yeah. Uh, well, I wonder what hotel. Was it a Holiday Inn? <laughs> or I don't know if there's a Waldorf Astoria in Knoxville. Oh God! One of the finest accommodations <laughs> for Mr. Oliver Anthony. It's like, bro, and he's supposed to be working class. Like, what the... <laughs> um, but yeah, he didn't. So I mean, I guess respect to him for, you know, seeing how much things were going to cost, and you know, I guess trying to keep his put his money where his mouth is, so to speak. Um, but it's like you know, he said, "I'm so sorry about all this. I will do better next time. We're still learning." You know, you just got to understand that, like, you can't bring your friends all the time. Like, everyone's not going to be um, a Rich Paul. You know, I I've, I kind of feel like LeBron James struck gold there because it could have easily been a bad situation. Like, this dude was selling jerseys at the back of his car. Like, this could have been a bad situation. You're, like, the number one draft pick, one of the most highly touted 
prospects of all time, and you basically hired a dude selling jerseys out the back of his car to be your manager. That could have gone bad. Everyone's not Rich Paul. And it's like you sometimes you just can't trust the person that you knew from back then. You know, you just yeah. blew up. You had a number one single. You need a real manager. I'm sorry, man. You need a real manager. And I think it takes it takes some form of patience because a lot of people bring that up with with LeBron and Rich Paul. But part of it was that it wasn't that he just hired him, you know, he saw him selling jerseys one day. He's like, hey, you want you can be my agent. It wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. But I think he sent him to work at CAA or one of the, the big sports agencies, like sent him to work there to learn. Yeah. And then yeah, they, opened yeah, their, yeah. they opened their own uh, agency. And then he did it with some of his other friends, like um, Maverick Carter was, I think it was a high school teammate of his. I believe so. Yeah, Maverick was. Yeah. So um, I don't know if he if Maverick just went off to school or LeBron would help him like um, open a business or something like that. But it was another friend of his that basically LeBron empowered his friends. Yeah, he got them. He got them. He, he, he got them, them in certain places. Yeah. Yeah. And all of this is happening so fast for this guy. I'm pretty sure Brian Prentice, who's the manager didn't get to go and train with no best in class. He's a plumber. So he may have his own company. Like, okay, so you're good with money. Like that's not the only requirement <laughs> to, to do this. Things have been kind of slow, you know, around the plumbing around, you know, West Virginia. Don't worry, man. I got you. I got Everyone's you. going back to outhouses. Now they don't want indoor plumbing anymore. <laughs> Well, you know what, Brian? I got you, man. You come on down to Oliver Anthony Music. We'll get you started, buddy. <laughs> it don't work like that, y'all. Um, oh, God. And this is similar to the um, um, thing we talked about before with uh, Ice Spice with um, oh, how yeah, much she was she charging for shows. And then she yeah. went viral and then you know tried to go back and get more money. For the you know at these same venues that have already been booked, um, mm-hmm. so um, I know like it it may be easier for for you to do it yourself, but you gotta take you gotta know everything, you gotta know every angle, you know, so yeah. you don't get taken advantage of, or that um, venues will be like, no, we can't do this. Uh, this is, yeah. or you know, that, you know, you're you could be in danger of sounding unreasonable and going back. I mean, on this your is word. why people have managers and then touring managers. Yeah, because your manager that is, you know, used to making the day to day relationships for you within the music industry might not be as adept as the person who is adept at managing the road experience, getting crew together booking venues, working with promoters. Like these are highly specialized things. And it's like, it's yet another industry that because, you know, it's so easy. Like it was so easy for me to put out a record, but I would not dare to assume that I know how to navigate the complexities of the music industry, whether it be live shows or even, you know, um, booking myself interviews and things like that. So Oliver Anthony 
he came into a lot of success very fast. I mean, like almost the literal definition of overnight. Um, and there's just a lot of things he just doesn't know how to do. And he's got a, I'm pretty sure, like I'm almost, I'm, I'm almost certain someone has reached out to him and said, hey, dude, you looking for a manager? Um, now, <laughs> it could be from a right-wing think tank. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, no, thanks. But I'm pretty sure someone's reached out to him. And I would encourage him, like he'll ever hear this, who knows, maybe he will, to, um, to reach out to some professionals, you know. They're professionals for a reason. You wouldn't let your, just because he needs the help, would you let this dude fix your roof? Like, <laughs> Yeah. No, you would not. Um, and it's a different, it, there is a, a different skill set involved. It, it reminds me of the, um, mm-hmm. the uh, Mitch Hedberg when he, you know, he's a stand-up comedian, right? So he yeah. would talk to um, movie or TV people and they're like, okay, so uh, write us a script. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily work like that. It's like, yeah. it's like if there's a, a chef, he's a, a cook, he's a really good cook. And it's like, okay, you're a really good cook. Can you farm? Like, that's not the same thing. <laughs> that, was, that was every, in the 90s though, like every comedian they were just everyone was looking for the next Bill Cosby, the next Jerry Seinfeld, like, yeah. like Bill Cosby kind of. I'm trying to think, was there anyone before him that really broke that open? Where it's like you're a funny stand-up comedian, you did a sitcom because he had stuff before the Cosby Show, but like, what well, there was, he was um, kind of a one of one at time at the time, wasn't he? Well, uh, you could say Bob Newhart. Um, what show did Bob Newhart have? Uh, he had a show called the Bob Newhart show and he had another sitcom called Newhart. Okay. okay. But they were, they were, it was different premises, I believe. Um, but okay. he, he came up as a stand up comedian, mm-hmm. um, and a writer and, um, who else was like that? Uh, cause the Richard Pryor show was more of like a sketch comedy show, wasn't it? Yeah. That was a sketch comedy show. Okay. Um, yeah. Flip Wilson. He had, he had a sketch comedy show. Okay. Um, it took Red Fox a really long time oh, to get to Sanford and Son, but he had, he had been doing it for a long time. Um, yeah. And, per, well, I think probably like the first was Bob Hope. That, that I think that would be in the American consciousness, mm. similar to Bill Cosby would be Bob Hope. Okay. But, um, but it, it's definitely a different skill set because those guys, not only are they performers, but they also write but they can mm-hmm. like write for TV or writes write for film, which yeah, is a different act. skill set than writing for stand-up comedy. So it's not mm-hmm. like it's something they can just do. Um, yeah. But granted, I yeah. mean, it's questionable whether or not Jerry Seinfeld can act. I think that's questionable. Look after look. <laughs> here's the thing though with Seinfeld: Did he do any movies? Or did he That's just the do sign? He just did the TV I think he show. did, um, wasn't Ants? Like oh, he yeah, did, Ants. I think he did yeah. A, yeah, as a voiceover person, but I don't think he and, ever no, no, did. No, 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 he did a B-movie. Like B-movie, yeah, B. B-movie. Yeah, he did yeah. that. Okay, so he did, but he did a couple of, of that, but else he, did. he didn't do like movies like that. And because no, Seinfeld no. was a monster of a show. yeah where he's playing himself like he's you know it, it wasn't like as a stand-up comedian 
Jerry Seinfeld did not go down that path, like not the Eddie Murphy route Mm -mm. or for a a more current reference for you kids, Kevin Hart. (laughs) He didn't go that route. Uh, I guess there are people who probably wouldn't realize that for a while there, Eddie Murphy was like the biggest star on the planet. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. In three in on, as a stand-up comedian on TV and in movies, he was a superstar. That you, yeah, you're not you. You may yeah, not. Yeah, he that never again. did anything. He did Seinfeld, and then just specials until the B movie, <laughs> and then of course he did you know his talk shows like the the um, uh, comedians in cars getting coffee. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he didn't. Yeah, he's he's he a is, guy who's like mainly made his money off of being a stand up comedian and doing a TV show about a stand up comedian. Like you mm-hmm. were, <laughs> he didn't have to go outside of that lane. Um, yeah. So he, he reminds yeah. me of like a Dave Chappelle in that way. And I guess it should be more so Dave Chappelle reminds me of him in that way. In that like, they'd give everything else up just to do stand up. Yeah. Like nothing's like Seinfeld just afforded him to be able to do stand up and not have to worry about being successful at it. Chappelle's show basically and I think that's why he didn't want to do it anymore because it was hurting his ability to do stand-up and it's like that's that's why I'm here bro yeah so. and and it was like I know I, I and I'm sure he knows you can't control how people understand the joke but mm-hmm. if you're completely missing the point <laughs> and refusing to see it that's where that's where he quit and over, yeah. over that pixie sketch and mm-hmm. he's done a couple of things. Like he was in Chirac. He was in um, A Star is Born, the Bradley Cooper yep. version. Um, and I, I think there's one other um, movie he had done. Because he had some Chappelle funny show. movies before that. You know, this part in uh, Robin Hood, Men in Tights and yeah, Half Baked that essentially became a, a cult classic. So, yeah. <laughs> he was a little more successful doing um, it. Although I guess Half It was te- technically a flop, but like it's just one of those movies everyone knows. Yeah. Um, even though it wasn't what they wanted it to be. Yeah. Half baked. He said, basically we wrote a, a weed movie for kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it turned into. <laughs> yeah. But um <clears throat> For those in the music industry, you know, if you're trying to, you know, you're trying to make it, you can, I know people are made, I think it comes from people who are being afraid to hire professionals. Like they don't, if you want to hire someone you can trust, so someone you already know, but, but they don't know what they're they doing. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. They're going to go too far or go, or not mm-hmm. go far enough for you. So it's, um, it's tricky. But, you yeah. know, I, I think it, it's going to be, you know, if people want to go around the 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 machine of the music industry, you got to learn everything about it so yeah. you don't get taken advantage of. And like I said, so um, people or blackballed. Won't, yeah, or blackballed, <laughs> which is a, it could it could happen in this case, because who knows yeah. if like this is the one incident we know with all yeah. <laughs> there might have been and another. Yes came up yeah we didn't know who he was two months ago this is his first (laughs) single and like he's already raging against machine and canceling shows 
and having people come out and saying like this you you know so <laughs> um yeah <laughs> all right so this last story uh for our music news segment um so uh Jan Venner who is the uh the co-founder of Rolling Stone magazine um I didn't realize he was the co-founder. Yeah. Yeah. This kind of puts a stain on everything they've done. Yeah, you you could say that. But then also a lot of things that they've done make even less sense because of the respect they've given to the types of artists that he just denigrated. But let's let's talk about the story first. Yeah. So, of course, he's uh, he's facing. backlash uh, uh to put it lightly i guess yeah. uh and he was removed from the board of directors for the rock and roll hall of fame foundation an organization he co-founded um mm-hmm. after an interview with the new york times was published um promoting his new book uh called the masters and his book <laughs> yeah so that's that's yeah. that's that's one thing. Uh, his book has <laughs> um, interviews that he conducted over the years with legendary rock and roll artists like Mick Jagger, Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, and John Lennon. And the Times asked him why he focused exclusively on white men and have no interviews with women of color. I'm sorry, women or people of color. And he responded by saying that the subjects had to meet a certain criteria. And um, during the interview, he said uh, the people had to meet a couple of criteria, but it was just kind of my personal interest and love of them. In so far as women, just none of them were as articulate enough on this intellectual level. And uh, the interviewer, David Marchese, I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, he pushed back saying someone like Joni Mitchell was articulate enough <laughs> to discuss music. When he So when he brought up Joni Mitchell, Venner said, it's not that they're not creative geniuses. It's not that they're inarticulate. Although, go have a deep conversation with Grace Slick or Janis Joplin. Please be my guest. You know, Joni was not a philosopher of rock and roll. She didn't, in my mind, meet that test, not by her work, not by other interviews she did. The people I interviewed were kind of the kind of philosophers of rock. And then (laughs) he Mm -hmm. said, went on to suggest that no black recording artist met his criteria either. Of black artists, you know, Stevie Wonder, genius, right? I suppose when you use a word as broad as masters, the fault is using that word. Maybe Marvin Gaye or Curtis Mayfield. I mean, they just didn't articulate at that level. Uh, then he said he he seen he it said Venner, who seemed to anticipate that he would be criticized for his comments, added, "You know, just for public relations' sake, maybe I should have gone and found one black and one woman artist to include here that didn't measure up to that same historical standard, just to avert this kind of criticism." which I get it. I had a chance to do that. Maybe I'm old fashioned and I don't give a bleep or whatever. I wish in retrospect, I could have interviewed Marvin Gaye. Maybe he'd have been the guy. Maybe Otis Redding had he lived would have been the guy. 
So um, there have been some crit some criticisms. Uh, Nelson George, uh, famed uh, writer and historian, um, had a response. Let me see if it'll play. This is from Instagram. Here we go. How you doing? Uh, today, the New York Times, a young winner, gave an interview that was pretty racist and sexist when it came to talking about why his current book, The Masters, has no uh, interviews with any black or women of seven white rock stars. It's called The Masters. Interesting title. Um, so <laughs> I, it made me think, in my current book, The Nelson George Mixtape, Volume 2, which is about hip-hop, uh, I wrote a letter to Rolling Stone magazine July 7th, 1983, that I want to quote a bit from that I think reflects the Rolling Stone uh, attitude. Carr, and Tim Carr was a writer, Tim Carr implies that Blondie's rapture came before the rap hits of Curtis Blow and the Sugar Hill Gang. For the record, the Sugar Hill Gang's Rapid Delight made the Billboard Top 40 in 1980, and Curtis Blow's The Breaks was certified gold in 1980. Rapture didn't even hit the market until 1981. This isn't blues history with half the people originally connected to it dead or senile. These kids were alive and kicking ass and would be happy to tell the story if they were asked. And this was um, something I wrote in 1983. So when you look at the attitude of Rolling Stone, which was quote-unquote the definitive guide to youth culture of the 60s and 70s, uh, the kind of condescending and condescending and out-and-out out stupid uh, remarks by Mr. Weiner today uh, reflect a continuum of thought that defined their coverage and why they never really caught up to rap or any other kind of forms of alternative and even mainstream black pop culture um, in the ways that they should have. That was the end as the ambulance <laughs> comes by his place. Um, so what, what do you think of that? Well, him basically saying like, this is just, it's just a continuation of how Rolling Stone has always been towards, at least towards black people. Um, I never, yeah. so I never really read Rolling Stone, so I can't speak too much on it other than it's, you could say it's either named after a rock band or after a song by Muddy Waters you know, which to me is just insanely ironic. Mm -hmm. But um, I what I would love to hear, because I'm looking here at the cover and conversations with Bono, Dylan, Garcia, Jagger, Lennon, Springfield, and Townsend. Um, I know at least Bono, Gar Dylan, Jagger, Lennon, and Springsteen have talked about their admiration of black artists. They have, they were, they've never really been shy about how black music influenced what they do. I'd be curious to hear what they had to say about these remarks. Mm. Um, I'd be curious to hear, like, do you even want to be associated with this book anymore? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, cause, cause what I hope doesn't happen is I, I hope no one goes at these people because when they're doing these interviews, of course, they don't know that the person that they're talking to is hor horrifically racist because I've seen lists and articles and things that they've done where black artists have been prominently featured. So like, it almost makes no sense. 
yeah. that he'd say these things. Um, I do think that was it. You said um, is it George Nelson. Yeah, makes a good no, point. Nelson I don't Nelson George. Nelson George. Excuse me. I don't know much about um, Rolling Stone's coverage of hip hop, like the beginnings of hip hop, and I will say that on some of their greatest of all time lists, I felt that hip hop songs and albums are typically a little bit lower than I would put them. Um, I will say typically as those lists age and they redo them, they typically move them a little bit higher. So maybe he's got a bit of, he's got a bit of a point there, but I just don't know enough about the publication. Like I've never, you know, they've just never been my go-to publication for music stuff. Um, But this is, this is really interesting, especially considering he's like a co-founder of it. So you got to think that like in some form or fashion, this line of thought has probably permeated itself throughout like the history of the magazine. So Rolling Stone did put out a statement. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, this is from their ex account. It said, uh, Jan Winner's recent statements to the New York Times do not represent the values and practices of today's Rolling Stone. Jan Winner has not been directly involved in our operations since 2019. Our purpose, especially since his departure, has been to tell stories that reflect the diversity and voices of voices and experiences that shape our world. At Rolling Stone's core is the understanding that music above all can bring us together, not divide us. Um, sounds like this was generated off of chat GPT. Um, <laughs> but I will. Um, I think their, their statement still kind of misses the. Not that it misses the point, but I think even now, it can still be looked at that Rolling Stone is not, like you said, they haven't caught up to what hip hop is or what black culture is. Mm-hmm. Um, they still haven't caught up. So there are probably people who learned and were mentored by him that are at that magazine. So this was a, you know, show your face type of statement Mm -hmm. um, to me, but you know, I, they, I don't think they could show otherwise that they are more, that they're more diverse because I simply just don't think it's true. Um, I've said probably several times, even on this podcast that, um, those publications like Rolling Stone and I would say like entertainment weekly and, um, what's another one of those other like major magazines, spin pitchfork. They don't like anything. (laughs) <laughs> they don't they don't like anything they are yeah. you know people may have heard me joke say that like Ron DeSantis is offended by everything it that it's kind of like I, it's kind of like the same thing with these publications where they don't actually like anything that the general public may latch on to that they mm-hmm. may enjoy it's all the underground stuff yeah, alternative stuff the obscure stuff out of like, the way stuff like you talk about with the the greatest albums list there's some like who is this band that yeah. i i'd never heard of before or don't know anything uh since or um 
you know, these obscure artists uh, or obscure mm-hmm. songs, you know, from bands that may have had their moment in the sun, but yeah, th- there's nothing like, I don't know who they directly influence or what, how their legacy connects to anything that I may listen to today. So it's, I want to say, you could say Rolling Stones is behind the times, not necessarily behind the times. They just live in an alternate, um, yeah. an alternate reality. And, and I guess that's kind of why I've strayed away from a publication like Rolling Stone, because it's always felt pretentious to me. Yeah. I mean, like, it's just all of those publications, aside from Entertainment Weekly, I used to read Entertainment Weekly a lot. Entertainment Weekly is very pop culture-y, but like Rolling Stone, Spin, NME, which is New, New, New Music Express, um, those publications always seem just like they had a little bit more, like kind of a holier than thou, you know? Yeah. Um, they don't care for the mainstream they they only like stuff like TV on the radio or the Alabama Shakes or um, Wilco, you know, and it's like uh, interesting. Cool. Enough, uh, Alabama Shakes has a black lead singer. Uh, yeah. TV on the radio got black people in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like it's I have to think that that those thoughts permeate throughout. But like I've never at least from and this is just, you know, from my point of view. I've never seen them do anything that I thought was like, we hate black artists. It's just that like, you know, you have to be a certain type of black artist or really just artists in general for them to feel the need to give you, like they might cover you, but to give you praise, you have to be a certain type of artist. Yeah. And it's like this, this like special club that your music has to be in and a certain type of person has to listen to it. You know, and it's just, you know, gone are the days of of almost famous where, you know, rock stars rule the landscape and, you know, music is so diverse now. And it's like they still kind of latch on to just like very nuanced part. I don't know. Like I, said, well, I don't I don't pay attention to these because they're just so they well, just with it being, so pretentious. you know, like, OK, what it was at the time of, of a like with the movie, like almost famous. Um and for those who are trying to figure out where we're going here, that movie is based on Cameron Crowe's time writing for Rolling mm-hmm. Stone. Um, like you said, with the uh, the rock stars ruling the landscape, and now that um, music is so diverse, and everyone has their um, their rock star across these different genres, they're mm-hmm. still trying to find that that rock star that they wrote about in the seventies. Yeah. I almost see it as more like, but we a, want that kind of rock star, but there's yeah. the, 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 the dynamic, edgy, or the, different the, and cool the look or something of the rock star, the characteristics of the rock star have, uh, evolved at the very least. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's, I've never read an issue of Rolling Stone in my life. <laughs> I've never, I've never been a patron. I've only read it when I've been at the doctor's office or dentist's office, and they're in there. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, I, and normally I'm I would say like, I'm not going to be surprised that a 77 year old white guy is racist, but I am surprised that a 77 year old white guy who 
writes for what was supposed to always be the alternative publication is racist. Mm. Like you're you're writing about a music that was literally invented by black people and you're writing about artists like I mean, like if we just take out of this Mick Jagger, the level of respect that Mick Jagger has for black artists would astound some people. He literally named his band after a song by a black blues singer. Yeah, he was an executive producer for James um, Brown get on up the get on yeah yeah, the James Brown biopic um because him and the Rolling Stones were so taken aback or what's the word just so enthralled with seeing him perform so it's like what would you what would Mick Jagger say like go to Mick Jagger you you respect him so much and, and what he has to say talk to him about who his influences were or the fact that John Lennon's hero was Chuck Berry Chuck Berry Come on, y'all. So it's like, talk to these people, (laughs) you know, about the people that influence them. (laughs) Like, that's what gets me. It's like, you don't get to these conversations with these artists without the Black artists that influence them. And that's before we get to the ones that didn't influence them. Someone like a Curtis Mayfield, who made some of the most intelligent soul music we've ever heard, or someone like a... Um, someone like a CD Wonder who as a blind person made some of the most complex pop music and funk music we've ever heard um, that was still popular. Or even like in the comments of the video I saw, someone like Prince would like to have a word. That one of the most accomplished musicians in pop music that we've like, ever and, seen. And, and, and there are artists <laughs> who, who, have, who have passed on like, okay, yeah, John Lennon interviews are included. He never interviewed Prince or I don't know when it started. He never tried yeah. to interview Jimi Hendrix. Um, yeah. He never He's interviewed. definitely old enough. He never interviewed Chuck Berry. Or he thinks yeah. Stevie Wonder isn't articulate enough. Yeah, that, that's what gets me. It's like the, the, the fingerprints <laughs> of black <laughs> artists are all over. The, like the genre of music, that the, the you entirety most. of the entirety of music, any music so, there is. Yeah. So that that's just, I guess to me, that's what's so surprising. It's like, you almost have to, and I think that's why he sounded so crazy to a lot of people, because it's like, you almost have to stick your head in the sand to not acknowledge the contributions of black artists to this music. Like you literally have to stick your head in the sand. Yeah. Not to, and not to mention two of the people that you consider geniuses, literally their biggest influences. I think the Beatles basically said, and and the Rolling Stones, we were just trying to make American black music. <laughs> like, come on, dude, come on! Like, it, it, hell, I haven't read the book, but it probably comes up in the conversation. <laughs> he just brushed right past it. So, how did he handle that? Like, he just brushed right past it. Like, I want to talk a so, little bit more about Chuck Berry. Uh, uh, can we mm, can we talk about someone else? <laughs> <laughs> no, he just really he just like cha- just changed the subject completely. <laughs> so the uh, Revolver album, you know, talking to John Lennon, <laughs> just went right to that, like just skipping past all of that. I like to talk some more about Little Richard. Little who? <laughs> Not familiar. Not familiar. <laughs> James Brown, the the you mean the running back Jim Brown? <laughs> like come on dude like like it literally is and that's kind of how i felt as i was watching the video like you really had to like 
like it's like the it's like the donkey in that episode of American, not American, a Family Guy. It's like Kevin Bacon wasn't in, in Footloose. Oh yeah, like that's who <laughs> that's who you are. You're hee hawing. That's what me. That's what me and Kendra say. Like, oh, you're hee hawing. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> like you're you just refuse to you know hee haw hee haw. Like no, that mm-mm. yeah. Um. So uh, that'll do it for our music news. I hope no one buys this book if it's out already or not or whatever. Um, <laughs> so, um, so we get to the cover song of the week. Um, I, I asked Ben for a ruling on this. Uh, this is technically the original version of this song. Um, people may be familiar with the, the jazz fusion R&B instrumental Breezin as performed by George Benson. Um, but the original, the first, well, the first artist to record uh, this song uh, was uh, a Hungarian jazz guitarist named Gabor Zabo. I am guessing on that pronunciation. Um, <laughs> and uh, the composition <laughs> was written by someone we have referenced a few times on this podcast, Bobby Womack. Uh, I didn't don't know the story of how that came to be, but um, my cover song selection this week will be Gabor Zabo's rendition of Breezin. And once we get it going, you will hear it. And we will be right back. Zabo, and there is still no playlist for this segment. <laughs> so you'll find the other ones, listen to the other episodes, or at least read the show notes. Um, oh, another bit of good news for those who like to listen to us on Apple Podcast. Um, with the update on iOS 17, you can now see the show art on Apple Podcast. You could only see it on Spotify before, <laughs> mm. but now I you can this see is one it. of those things where it's like, man, Android has been at this for a while. Let me stop. Let me stop. <laughs> 17 iOSs. Wow. Yeah. All right. Mm. So, um, yeah, you can see the, the show art 
the various show art um, for each episode. <clears throat> um, make sure it's still playing. Yes. There we go. All right. So let's get to the charts. Uh, top 10 songs. Number one this week. Um, it was on the in the round hanging around the top 10 for a while. But number one this week is Vampire by Olivia Rodrigo. I have not heard this song. I, I don't know if I have or not. I've heard something by her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the song that was number one last week drops to number two. Paint the Town Red by Doja Cat. Um, I believe on her upcoming project, she is rapping more. Uh, Good for her. It's not going to be so polished pop like the previous album. So look out for that. Number three, I Remember Everything by Zach Bryan featuring Casey Musgraves. Have you heard that one? I have not, but I'm, I'll probably check it out because love me some Casey. Number four, Fast Car by Luke Combs. Number five, Cruel Summer by Taylor Swift. Number six, Last Night by Morgan Wallen. Number seven, Bad Idea, Right? by Olivia Rodrigo. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight, Snooze by SZA. Number nine, Fuck You Mean by Gunna. And number 10, Dance the Night by Dua Lipa. Uh, Olivia Rodrigo, I believe her album just came out, so she's going to have some more albums debuting in the Hot 100. And um, Richmond, North of Richmond, has fallen to number 22. Oof. So that runs just about over. Guess I don't love them like they love Morgan. <laughs> uh, let's look at the Billboard 200 these are the albums debuting at number one Guts by Olivia Rodrigo um, I don't know if you've seen you're, you're on Reddit more than I am it's, is she getting the industry plant accusations I haven't seen any and I can't imagine she would because of the way she came up through High School Musical the, the TV show mm-hmm so I don't I think since oh, they so kind of is got this the Disney machine, it, it kind of is. I mean, she's like she's like Hispanic or Latin uh, Miley Cyrus, because, I mean, she essentially blew up by she was on the show. They needed a song. I mean, she's on the show, of course, and so she's already a star, but they needed a song for a scene. And they were like. They heard her one of her songs are like, yeah, we need a song. We need her to write a someone to write a song like that song. Hmm. And the director's like, just use that song. Like, why are we gonna have somebody write another song like that song when we have that song? <laughs> <laughs> so they um they used that song and that was kind of the beginning. And you know, from there she blew up. All right. Uh number two, layover, an EP by V. I, I'm guessing that's a K-pop group. I feel uh, like that's when in doubt it is. <laughs> uh, number three, Zach Bryan by Zach Bryan. No, no. it's a Korean, South Korean singer, but yeah. Okay. K-pop singer. K-pop singer. Uh, Zach Bryan by Zach Bryan, which was number one last week. Number four, One Thing at a Time by Morgan Wallen. Number five, Utopia by Travis Scott. Number six, uh, SOS by SZA. 
Number seven, Genesis by Peso Pluma. Number eight, Midnights by Taylor Swift. Number nine, Dangerous the Double Album by Morgan Wallen. And number 10, Rustin in the Rain by Tyler Childers. Debuting at I heard 10. someone describe these artists, so like Tyler Childers and Zach Bryan, as the Nirvana moment for country. Oh, it's like Basically, a changing of the guard. Yeah, they're reckoning because these artists are being successful and the industry is good. They're going to have to figure out why. Hmm. So get ready for a bunch of uh, a bunch of um, bushes and Stone Temple pilots <laughs> <laughs> as they just try to fight any and everyone. They're about to start scouring Charleston, West Virginia. It's just going to be <laughs> Bowling Green, just anywhere they can get in the in the Appalachian Mountains. <laughs> um also it's gonna be like like uh uh a and r people going to the sunset strip or to bankhead bankhead basically <laughs> they're gonna be going up there in the foothills of kentucky basically let's look at the artist 100 number one this week has the number one song got the number one album Olivia Rodrigo is number one. Number two, Taylor Swift. Number three, V, who we mentioned as the K-pop singer. Number four, Zach Bryan. Number five, Morgan Wallen. Number six, Luke Combs. Number seven, Drake, in which he pushed back his uh, upcoming album for All the Dogs. Um, number eight, SZA. Number nine, Tyler Childers. And number 10, Miley Cyrus. So that is the chart review. Ben, uh, tell us about your earworm of the week while I pull it up. All right. So I heard this um, on TikTok. Uh, some guy was like, you know, are you looking for like a really upbeat J-pop type song? I think Brandon also reposted it as well. But this song slaps. It's this group called Saka Nation. Um, this title of the song is in Japanese, but it translates according to Google it to, I can't forget it. Um, it's, it's just a really fun song. Like the bass is great. Like it says it's pop rock, but it's got like a very funk kind of feel to like an eighties funk electronic funk type feel to it. So, uh, let you guys be the judge, but I'm loving this song. All right. This is, uh, what translates to I Can't Forget It by Saka Nation. Saka, Saka Naction. Is it? Okay. There's an, another, mm. there's a C in there. Y'all hear it. <laughs> I'm not the only one. 
That is I Can't Forget It by Sakan Action. Uh, you can find that on our BTT YHC Earrooms of the Week playlist on Spotify right now. Here's what I realized. Well, not, not that I realized. It's something that is a fact. Um, <laughs> in They're Japanese, right? It's a Japanese band? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is a um there's a world of like great Japanese music as far as like bands um especially if they're like have the R&B jazz bands in Japan mm-hmm. there is a lot of good music that um we just haven't heard because we don't, um, we don't speak Japanese or we don't, um, really look for it. But yeah, uh, in the past, I would say at least the last 10 years, um, there have been more, um, hip hop producers that will sample, um, really Japanese songs, Japanese, like cool. Japanese, um, pop songs, especially from like the eighties, like there's, they, they had the yacht rock era basically in Japan. And there's it's a, so good. It's Japanese city really pop good. is so good. It's yeah. It's um, called city pop. Yeah. Yeah. But it is so freaking really good. good. <laughs> yeah. And so there are a lot of really good, there's a lot of good music and a lot of good bands like this. This is a good sounding song. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of this kind of stuff. There's like, there's more where that came from, you know? Um, so um, I would encourage everyone to, you know, to, um, to check out some of this, this Japanese R and B pop music, city pop, jazz fusion, all of that. So it's, um, yeah, it's yeah. funny too. Cause they're another country that appreciates that that like soul music and funk and R&B kind of on the same level as like the Philippines and how we've kind of talked about how the UK does where like if you you know you watch their videos and when they're covering American songs they're covering like the great R&B singers they're yeah. covering people like Shaka Khan they're covering people like Whitney Houston even Wendy Moten like they're covering those artists because they just love that music i saw some video in a japanese club and it was a band covering mint condition <laughs> like what American band aside from a black band is covering that in America <laughs> but they're over there like they're doing Pretty Brown Eyes as a part of their set great yeah. song great song it's just that appreciation for it and it's I love to see it and they all and because they learn to sing a lot of times from hearing that music they sound good singing it yeah. so yeah yeah 
because um, they're trying to, as far as finding their their voice or their musicality, they're going to sing what the kind of the sing the songs that they like. So they're going to try mm-hmm. to sound like those those artists that they like. So yeah, yeah, you get a lot of that. Um, so uh, we started this episode with the song "All I Really Want." by Alanis Morissette uh, from her album Jagged Little Pill and we are going to discuss um, that through the medium of the documentary Jagged uh, which is on Max it is now called Max um, as part of their music box series Uh, previously we discussed the Kenny G episode uh, well, it was the Kenny G documentary. We had that episode with Aisha a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. Um, so I this forgot was, how long these had been around. Yeah, <laughs> um, they kind of all dropped. It, I thought it was like week by week or month by month. It was kind of like all. Yeah, the same they were time. dropping. Yeah, they were dropping. It, it uh, yeah, these are all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this I had just forgotten about them. Yeah. Yeah, this dropped around the same time as the Kenny G uh, documentary and. As we mentioned on that episode, we'll mention it here. There, there are a few more that we could I, that are interesting to me. Uh, there's one about DMX. There's one about mm-hmm. uh, Woodstock '99. There's one about uh, Juice World. Um, and there's one about um, uh, Robert Stigford, who was the producer of Saturday Night Fever and Grease, mm-hmm. and kind of how he. He put John Travolta on the map, but brought uh, the put a putting a musical on screen that became so popular, and then bringing and then presenting a culture, a certain culture with Saturday Night Fever, yeah. which we do have an episode about. So, um, like I said, this documentary is called Jagged. You can find it on Max. It's about Alanis Morissette, her uh, her coming up and and through. Basically, the it's not a full documentary about her life. Um, I mean, they touch on her life, but basically, what what uh, she was going through and dealing with while, and and then kind of like the events leading up to writing and recording Jack Little Pill, and then through the success of that. Uh, basically, the story essentially ends. Um, the last spoiler show. alert: with the last show. And then yeah. eventually uh, Taylor Hawkins leaving her band to join the Foo Fighters. Yeah. Um, but it, the majority is about the making of that album and kind of like what the musical landscape was at the time. Because as when watching it, I thought at the time, not well, not at the time, but like even before watching this documentary, uh, I don't know how much appreciation there is. A lot of people bought Jack a little pill, but I don't know if people like still had that appreciation for it uh, today. Um, because now looking back on it, this was a game changing project. Mm-hmm. This changed a lot, especially for how we, how we view women as artists Mm-hmm. Um, especially as rock artists and um, how they they're only allowed to look a certain way 
um, and to write a certain way or sing a certain way or have certain subject matters in their songs. And Even going so much as it sounded how much they get played, yeah, how often they get played. It, it even came down to that. Um, we'll yeah. get to it, but there was a point where like one, well, he said that, yeah, you can't play female artists back to back on the rock station. Yeah. Less than 30 <laughs> years ago, folks. <laughs> so um, so uh, let's get into it here. Um, I got some notes, uh, of course. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, um, at the time while she's writing this between the ages of 19 and 21, <laughs> um, uh, this was basically a writing, but attempting to become empowered. That was something that she said as far as her writing mm-hmm. this, how this was so inspirational to so many women and some men around the world um, and they became empowered. And that was what she was writing. She was, you know, looking to empower herself um, Mm -hmm. because of what she had been going through in previous years. Um, I do remember, well, I don't know that was her, but I didn't know. I did know that she was on, you can't do that on television. Yeah. So Um, I was happy to see them go back on Nickelodeon. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was happy to see them go back to that early career because I thought I was only going to be just Jack a Little Pill, but to see them yeah. go back to her early days on TV um, and as a Canadian pop star because a lot of people probably thought that Jack a Little Pill was her first album and it's not. Yeah. So. Um, but she had always looked through, you know, she wanted to be a, a songwriter a lot, along with a lot mm-hmm. of other things. But. Um, that's uh, her being in entertainment. That's what her dad wanted to be a part of that, wanted to be in the entertainment mm-hmm. industry. So him um, getting his daughter auditions and working with producers, uh, with musicians and all that. So he got her involved in that. Um, I did write, write a Ottawa androgyny because of how she described women in Ottawa, <laughs> women from Ottawa. Um how they're like Forget about that, yeah. How they're outspoken, a little androgynous, but they like to party. I just thought it was funny. Um, <laughs> now I was I was hoping for it, and I think they went as far as probably she would let them go with the the pop era, Alanis, the Canadian oh, pop yeah. star, the Canadian Janet Jackson. I, we got more than we got in the behind the music. Yeah, yeah, we got more. Unfortunately, a lot of it was dark. Yeah. Um, because you you know, you found out how I think it was Leslie Howe was thing she's forty-two tracks of harmonies is the type of stuff he does like he's a regular Dave Foster, you know. Um, which is the demand that he puts on his singers. But I and unfortunately it got, you know, super dark and i i, I kind of wrote the line where's my protection she said that a couple times yeah being someone so young and vulnerable and being put through that machine who's there to look after her you know um because it sounds like she went through some absolutely horrific things that she blamed herself for or at least she had just kind of said, well, you know, I allowed it to happen. Not really understanding that she was a child in that in those situations. Yeah. And she didn't allow them to happen. They were happening to her. So 
I will say that was maybe the biggest difference between because it it was definitely covered in the Atlantis more set behind the music, but not you know behind the music is VH1, is cable, is happy go lucky. You yeah, know, they're, they're everyone gonna, comes out on top. While the the tragic stuff is predictable, it's stuff or mm-hmm. stuff that we already knew. Um, but everything's fine because she came out okay yeah, now. And then it, like know. it's always a triumph at the end. Yeah. Um, and I didn't feel yeah. like there was a triumph here. I feel I still feel like she's wrestling with a lot of what happened to her, but I think she's okay with that. She's gotten to a better place with it, but I I I'd like the fact that they didn't try to sugarcoat it, you know? Yeah. They didn't try to just be like, "Oh no, it's cool. She's fine." She straight up said like, "I'm still struggling with some of these things. The eating disorder." She says she still struggles with to this day. And part of that also is when she talked about those things with the eating disorder and with um, the statutory rape or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It was just her. They didn't ask anybody else. They didn't talk to anybody else about, about their perspective. And it could be that they didn't know it's possibly that, but also I think it's, Um, if they did know, they didn't do anything. They didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Like with her saying, "Like where's my protection?" There, I mean, there there wasn't any, and I don't think there's anything anybody could say or do now. If they did know, that mm-hmm. would help. Like it wouldn't make the situation any better. It wouldn't make things any easier for. Her. I definitely feel like this is probably the type of content we'd get. If there was a Aaliyah documentary, yeah, she'd probably at her, at that age because she'd probably be, she'd be maybe slightly she'd be in her younger. 40 she, she slightly younger, like maybe a year or two. But maybe she's come to that realization that like mm, I was really being taken advantage of back then. Yeah, I mean, like to your point, like you know, asking the people that'd be like asking R. Kelly, you know, for his opinion on the situation of his marriage with Aaliyah, you know. Do you really want to even ask the the abuser? <laughs> like, what was your take on it? You know, well, not even not even asking. What was his name again? Lindsey Howe, Leslie Howe, Leslie Howe. Not not asking him, but I mean, like, I don't know if her parents are still alive, but maybe mm-hmm. their perspective or uh, or well, she even said that was about protecting her parents and. Yeah, that's why she hasn't said much about it, and so it. So I, there I, still yeah. sounds like there's a weight on her to where she's still, you know, she just doesn't want to talk about it because she feels culpable in some way. Yeah, and not that it was on the outside. No one's going to blame her, mm-hmm. but I can understand someone wanting not hesitating to talk about it because they feel responsible. A lot of, um, a lot of assault victims feel that way. And it Mm -hmm. just feels like, you know, it's like if I wasn't in this situation or maybe if I'd done this or, you know, taking some form of responsibility, even though the events that would have transpired are not their fault, but it's just trying to get, past that feeling that there is some kind of fault. It, it just, it's just something that happens that way that um, just saying, Oh, it's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. 
it's beyond just saying that it's a, yeah. it's a, it's definitely a, a, tr- a complex trauma to, to deal with. So it's going to be hard for, it, it, it will be hard for anyone to talk about um, mm-hmm. because, and then all the things that are, that are implicated from talking about as far as other people that maybe didn't, weren't the direct assailants, but they were connected in some way. So it's, yeah. it's a, it's a complex thing. And it really they is. went as far as she would allow them she to probably go. let them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with the, the pop era, the, the music itself is not discussed anywhere. Um, I do believe <laughs> those albums are out of print. Um, I would love to hear music beyond too hot. Um, I, I was not familiar with what she referred to as the snake video. Were you? Uh, I think I had seen it once. Like all her, okay. her early videos, if you search them on YouTube, you can find them. Yeah. Okay. I might do that. Then. They're just not streaming I like on hot, Spotify you know? anything like that. They're not streaming anywhere. Yeah. Um, for those who didn't catch it in the, I think that was the too hot video, Matt LeBlanc, uh, or Joey oh, from snap. friends. Was I don't think I video. realized that. Yeah. Um, huh. yeah. Um, so I, I guess when it was first implied that she was dealing with, uh, any kind of sexual assault or grooming or anything like that, uh, 15 years old. And I was just wondering, like, is it, was it too much too fast at that time? Or, um, was it that she was just out here alone? Mm. And the more that she delved into it, as far as that she was willing to go, it just seemed like she was just out here alone. That's what it seemed like. So I, I would have to wonder, like, did her parents just trust the people she was with and she didn't say anything? Um, or were her parents, you know, because like you said, they wanted to be, you know, her father at least wanted to be a performer. Was he just willing to look the other way? Like, yeah, this is just how it goes. Because I feel like the entertainment industry, it's just a slimy place in general. I think it's come out way more over the last 10 years. Like there were whispers of it in the 90s. Um about what had happened in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. Um, but now, like, it's, I feel like it's just out there, the, how, how bad of a place it was. And, like, you just got to think a lot of this was probably just kind of, if you want to make it, if you want your dream to come true, this is what you got to do. Yeah. And so people just did it because <laughs> it's like, you know, if I don't do it, someone else will, and and then they'll have all this fame and this fortune and attention and blah, 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 blah. So if I just put up with this for a little bit, I can get it too. And you would hate, you hate for someone to feel that way or think that way. But I think that's kind of, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the situation. Yeah. Just tacit, tacit com- compliance, you know? Uh, so, uh, yeah, they're being talked to about her weight and then she ends up developing developing an eating disorder at 15 years old. Um, yeah. That's, 
I don't know if that was Canadian executives, but I think, you know, if so, I just felt like it was like Canadian executives following a, um, following an American, um, blueprint. Yeah. Um, you know, and thinking of all of the, the, you know, basically she came up as, she's a child star, former child star, Mm -hmm. you know, and when they're going through, when the kids are going through puberty or anything like that, you know, the, everyone's body responds differently. And, mm-hmm. um, to put her into some kind of, some kind of box and, you know, for that to be for anyone, you don't know what kind of reaction that will bring about. Maybe someone, okay, maybe, Someone will just start working out or someone will develop an eating disorder that they may struggle with, uh, even mm-hmm. into their forties, <laughs> you know, they um, probably didn't care though. You know? Yeah. They just <laughs> yeah. I think that's the sad yeah, part. Was, they it, just, it is for the ones who will, who will bring that up, who will, um, want to have those conversations. It's mm-hmm. just about the bottom line. Yeah. So that's all it is. Yeah. It's to them. It's, it's money. You're the, you know, no pun intended. You're the cash cow. Yeah. Um, and for us to keep making this money, you can only eat one slice of cheese a day. That was insane. <laughs> Counting like, the cheese slices. Yeah. So yeah, that's definitely not healthy. Eating disorder or not, that's just not healthy. Yeah. Um, and but they don't care. Everyone's making money, and if you gain weight. We might stop making money. So you got to lose weight, you know, or you're going to be out. And it wasn't long after, you know, essentially that's what happened. Like the end of the, I wrote the ending of a career. That's what we're kind of talking about in real time in front of her. Your career is almost over. Yeah. You've gone as far as your talent and we can take you. They didn't see her as a writer, as she said. She wanted to be a writer. They didn't see her as a writer. So, well, and I and I think it was because they they didn't want to, right? Like, um, Tiffany didn't write anything. Mm-hmm. Um, they maybe Debbie Gibson was writing songs better than the writers that labels wanted her to work with. Uh, Cause she wrote a couple of her own songs. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as the, with the, the, the pop star, the pop princess or whatever, she wasn't writing anything like they, mm-hmm. they like the pop princess doesn't get to write anything Mm-mm. for the most part. Um, so, um, uh, I wrote uh, being left alone like she uh, that's what I was getting to is that she was left alone in these situations with these men <laughs> um, <laughs> basically whoever that's the way to put it that's what they were just <laughs> these producers these songwriters these musicians um, and then it's for hours at a time she said it's working um, until three, four in the morning. And it was, it just seemed like a totally normal thing. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, and I think that ends up tried to channel. I think she just ended up using it as channeling that energy into writing the songs, which became Jack a little pill. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so she's eventually dropped by the label. And uh, then there's a scene where she's uh, in her storage space with all of the old stuff, all the old stuff, <laughs> demos, um, instruments, letters from ex-boyfriends. Um, that was, I guess, just interesting to see that, like, some of these things were important. You find out like kind of what's important to, to a person. Yeah. Um, just to, to hold on to them, even if they're not in your house, they're, they're somewhere you can find them, you know? Um, so then she meets Glenn Ballard. Uh, had you ever seen Glenn Ballard before? I, I didn't, I had never seen him before. I'd seen the name. I had no idea what he looked like at all yeah he did not look like I thought he would at all <laughs> at all uh yeah he he just looked like someone who would he he's probably always been like tried to look cool and now he's just older but still just trying to look cool. trying to look cool <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, he's um, he someone who had written with Michael Jackson. He co-wrote "Man in the Mirror." So knowing what I know about him, I'd always wondered before this documentary how did they link up? Like he is this this incredibly successful songwriter, and you're Alanis Morissette, and it sounds like she was out there essentially near homeless almost i guess like she just kind of just went out there and and wasn't doing too much and linked up with glenn ballard yeah and that just kind of that always kind of threw me like how did that you know happen so yeah um yeah so he he had uh, worked with let me see what. Um, oh, well, I know he wrote um, man. He co-wrote man in the mirror with Sidney. He co-wrote man in the mirror, and he. Okay, he had played on Thriller. Yeah, he worked with the Pointer Sisters, Jack Wagner, Paul Abdul, um, Teddy Pendergrass, um, mm-hmm. Wilson Phillips, um, Evelyn Champagne King, and then since then Sheena Easton, Toto. Van Halen, Aerosmith. So some heavy hitters. Um, mm-hmm. And he said that she he she didn't know what she wanted to do, but she knew what she didn't want to do. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting statement. <laughs> uh, so um, they end up right just getting in there and writing songs together, um, being rejected by several labels. 
Do you think this is one of those where like the labels somebody got fired? Yeah. <laughs> you pass you passed on the Canadian chick. Uh probably. Um as it's just like funny someone's that just like, walking around there, walking around the, the office and they find a demo tape. But this is like maybe six months after the album's already come out. They just find the demo tape. Like, where'd you get this? Uh, yeah, she just came by one day and um, I didn't really like it. Oh, you didn't really like it. You didn't really like it. <laughs> yeah, you pack your really things. Like your job. Pack, yeah, pack your things. <laughs> pack your things. <laughs> um, so ends up being signed to Maverick Records, which was Madonna's label. I thought they would talk to Madonna, but there's probably not much she could actually say. Like, she wasn't. I still in the wonder process. how involved she was. Yeah, because I forgot. I I didn't realize they signed Deftones. So like, <laughs> I'd like to think that Madonna was like this cutting edge. You know, see things before they're coming. But more than likely, she just she did what she should have done. She hired people who knew what they were doing and got out of their way. Yeah. She was just like, just call me to make the big decisions and I'll come in and listen and just, you know, but other than that, she probably, I'm pretty sure she wasn't like, oh, there's this band out of California called the Deftones. Um, someone needs to get out there to see them. I think they're <laughs> going to be the next big thing. <laughs> <laughs> Dropping their demo on, on the A&R's desk. Like she wasn't doing that. Yeah. Nothing like that. <laughs> this was, wasn't this around the time bedtime stories was coming out or something or. Yeah, like she was too busy with her own career, man. She had a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, then in recording the album, they have the, the little showcase and everything. And um, so they go up to K Rock. I so the uh, what's the guy's name? I know his last name. Siri strikes again. Um, Osiri, who worked with Maverick Records brings the the album to k-rock um and apparently this was yeah when it was hard to get your song on the radio apparently and it meant a lot yeah and um oh i was okay because i said oh siri then siri opens okay yeah. <laughs> um so um they hear you ought to know that was the first song they heard and they everyone is blown away and so they i don't did they did they really like immediately take the cd and give it to the dj and say play this song like right then so i always I feel like it never happens like that <laughs> i went through the logistics in my head because there are there's profanity in that song yeah it wasn't and edited you can't play i don't care if you are one of the biggest rock stations in the country. You don't want to deal with those fines from the FCC. Now, possibly, possibly. So they're going thinking, to meet like with they, the radio station. They brought they a, had radio a radio edit. edit. That's what I was thinking. They maybe they were like, "Hey, we even got a radio edit." If you know, maybe anticipate like that's really betting on yourself though. That you made a radio edit and you're like, "I'm so confident that K Rock is gonna like this." They're going to play yeah, it I'm today. I'm bringing a radio edit for them to run down the hall with it. They're playing Stop this Stop the today. presses. Like, what are you playing right now? Um, I think we're playing something about Nirvana. Cut it off. Stop it. <laughs> Stop. Stop it mid-song. I don't care if it smells like Teen Spirit. Stop it mid-song. 
and put this on right now. Like, you serious? <laughs> this is so unprofessional. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah. So that's logistically, I was thinking that like they had to bring a radio edit because they're not letting an f bomb drop on K Rock. They're just not letting it happen. Yeah. Especially with like the it, like the um, will she go down you in the theater? Like you just can't mm-mm, mm-mm, can't do it. So, but that's really betting on yourself though. If you if you literally brought a radio edit to your first meeting and it got played, that's like some insane confidence. Yeah. Um. And with people talking about the song and the lyrics and everything, people were fixed on the line. Does she go down on you in a theater? And like, y'all are paying attention to the wrong thing. Um, But (laughs) that I know that kind of thing will still happen today. And Mm -hmm. not that, you know, necessarily that um, the things that people say, like there's some like bigger, some bigger theme or some, some bigger picture with, songs that have those kind of provocative lines but you can miss the point of the entire song if you yeah. just focus on that one line um and then talking about who the um who the song was about they mentioned Dave Coulier uh they did not interview yeah. Dave Coulier uh she did not confirm if it was about him um, she said it was, you know, there were several people she was dating at the time. So safe to say Alanis was in these streets. <laughs> she was kind of in the streets, but whatever. I think though it's funny that she would be surprised that they would focus on Dave Coulier because he's, you know, he's Uncle it's Joey. A, it was a, it's um, a very no, wholesome um, show. Yeah, Joey yeah, Gladstone, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, Uncle yeah. Joey Gladstone. So yeah, it was the so, name that we know. It was the name that you mm-hmm. know. It was the the name and face that we knew um, on a very family friendly show. And he's like the safe uncle. You know, if it was <laughs> oh God, God help her, if it would have been um, John Stamos, Ooh, <laughs> they wouldn't let that go. But like even or if more, it was Bob Saget. Oh Jesus. <laughs> Bob, he like, would have talked about it. He would have been talking Bob about Saget it in his, in his stand-up. In he would have been talking exactly. about it. <laughs> he would have done it. He would have. Um, but so, yeah, it's like, you know, he's like the complete opposite of her. So it's just like, oh, that's funny. Let's let's focus. Let's focus on that. <laughs> I think because because of that, that's why that blew up. But um, she never confirmed for those who yeah. want to watch the document. She never confirmed who it actually was. Um, so it was kind of like a, um, like the, what's that song? You're so vain. You're so vain. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those situations. <laughs> like everyone has their guesses, but we'll never truly know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this kind of ushered in a new era of women in rock music. Um, even like we talked about with the radio format, how they wouldn't, um, you couldn't play No Doubt and then Alanis Morissette back to back. I was like, who made up that rule? Um, some old man. <laughs> That's all I can think of. Some old guy. And, um, you know, they and and ushered in a, a new era. You know, um, 
of of women in in rock music. Like there were a few during the hair metal era, but none that mm-hmm. you know, like Lita Ford or Joan Jett or well, Heart was around before then, but then they mm-hmm. looked like a hair metal band in the late eighties. Yeah. Uh, so there were like a few. <laughs> That's really funny. So I just thought about that. I was like, yeah, they were like around the 70s. Yeah. Like they had like Magic Man and, and then like Alone. Yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I had to think about that for a second. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, and she, mm. I think her like image though and like the style of music, like you mentioned Joan Jett and Joan Jett kind of had like that more aggressive punk rock style, straight up rock and roll, but didn't have a didn't break through like Alanis did. So like, you know, it's like, oh man, Joan Jett's kind of tough. She's wears all black. She wears leather. Her band is called the Black Hearts, which is freaking awesome name for a band. Um, But it's like, she didn't have that mass appeal breakthrough like Alanis did to where she could, you know, really change how things was going. She was just kind of along for the ride, so to speak. Yeah. Whereas Alanis, you know, kicked the door in and took control with that album. Uh, so having me ask the question because of her stage presence and the music that was popular at the time, is this a grunge album? I or is don't it know. too or is it too like polished for it to actually be grunge? Let's see what they so Or it might be post grunge um, if we're they call <laughs> it alt rock post grunge. Post grunge. It okay. was just after grunge blew up. It has, I don't know, I always use the term, maybe grunge adjacent, maybe. Um, I think there are some songs on this. So, like, I think You Oughta Know could absolutely be kind of like a rock and a grunge adjacent song, but like, ironic, hand in pocket, head over feet. Like, these aren't really grunge songs. Like, yeah. these are just, you know, um, Head Over Feet has a harmonica in there. Like that's, to me, that's almost closer to Bob Dylan. <laughs> 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 Something like the Traveling Wilburys might have done than, you know, like Soundgarden or, or Pearl Jam or something. So, but like, then you hear a song like All I Really Want. And that almost sounds kind of like, was it um, the Butthole Surfers coming down the mountain? Mm. Like it sounds like, that song sounds like it's older than it was. If you listen to All I Really Want and then you ought to know, Sounds a little bit older, although you ought to know has a lot of, and I think Flea played on it, but it has a lot of Red Hot Chili Pepper influence. <laughs> and it like they were listening to some Red Hot Chili Peppers, maybe you know Mother's Milk or not Mother's Milk. Uh, um, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Blood Sugar Sex Magic. What was the album before that though? Uh, was it Mother's Freaky Milk? Freaky Styly. Freaky Styly. I'm, I get their albums mixed up, but yeah, Mother's it sounds Milk. like they were listening to like some yeah. of that stuff. When they made that song. So it's it's kind of all over the place, really. Cause even like ironic doesn't fully fit in the album. Like it's it's to me it's all over the place. Um so uh when they talk about like uh the the band, um her her backing band, and just wanna ask uh she could have hired a uh, an all-female band and why didn't she i never thought about that until the question was asked here yeah i i always assumed 
maybe it was juxtaposition. Well, I shouldn't say I always assume because I didn't assume anything. It was just normal to me, you know, and I guess that's just kind of how, you know, some people say that men are the norm, but um, that band was just normal to me. But as I thought about her talking about it, I thought maybe it was a marketing thing, juxtaposition, like you've got like this, the badass girl rocker who she's not really feminine. Like she dresses in like, you know, they tried to doll her up sometimes, but for the most part, she's like, just like one of the guys. And maybe that I felt, felt like maybe it was a marketing ploy type thing. I don't know, but yeah, that, that I just never even thought to ask that question until it was posed here. Um, her answer was interesting. Um, because it, I considered it might be one of these at its oldest time kind of things where she thought that possibly that if there was female musicians that there would be jealousy essentially mm. that they would want to be where she is and not be yeah. um, in the back in the background. And I wonder, is, does that say about how she thinks about herself? If she puts that on them? Yeah, that does that does bring up that question as well. Um, but partly also through her her musical journey. She's been. Around men. That's what she's used to. Yeah. Yeah. So she kind of saw it as no big deal that it was men backing her up, mm. but also not considering women. There's a reason behind that. That was her reason behind yeah. that. Yeah. And I just thought of like how, um, and I've said this a few times before, just how with, there seems to be only one female rapper allowed to be a star at a time. We can only pay attention mm -hmm. to one at a time. Um, it was Nicki Minaj for a while. I mean, over the last 10 years, Nicki Minaj for a while, then it's Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion. And now, and it was Ice Spice a Probably year ago. Goes. <laughs> a year ago. And now, now it's Sexy Red. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I think it was kind of that approach, that that kind of mentality in this situation where there could only there can only be one. Yeah. <laughs> so um yeah. So the uh it won the, this was won a lot of awards. It sold it sold over thirty million copies worldwide. Won a lot of awards, it won album of the year. I believe she also won Best New Artist. Um yeah, this was a, a monster of an album. Yeah. Um kind of her her music kind of the inspiration of what became Lilith Fair. Um so seeing uh, Shirley Manson, I forgot uh, she was is she Scottish or Irish? That accent yeah, was heavy. She's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like she <laughs> she never lived here at all. <laughs> Like I forgot that she's not American. I totally forgot. She just went, after garbage stopped being a thing, or they're still a thing, but after they stopped like being big, she went back to the old country. She never <laughs> left. <laughs> yeah, it's very. I'm glad though that she's still doing things. I was I was happy to see her in here, and honestly, I wish they had gotten more female like rock artists. 
from the 90s. Like, um, so you mentioned Lilith Fair. Um, of course, that's that was founded by Sarah McLaughlin. It would have been cool to have, you know, have someone like a Sarah McLaughlin mm, in there to talk or about it. Melissa Etheridge. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, Joan Osborne. Meredith Brooks. Yeah. Um, and I also think it would have been interesting, and maybe she would have been too big to get, because I mean, Bill Simmons is a big deal, but he's not that big a deal. Taylor Swift, you know, that's she's yeah. one of the people they um, kind of reference at the end, showing her coming out to a concert at a Taylor Swift concert and singing "You Ought to Know." Yeah, her and, and uh, Beyonce as well, and Beyonce who covers it in her concerts, and it's on one of her live albums as well. It's a phenomenal cover. But one of the things I thought that was really poignant that Taylor Swift said was you know, this confessional style of songwriting. And I, you know, in my opinion, I think a lot of people would agree, that's kind of been Taylor Swift's bread and butter. Like, that's what made her, is that confessional type of songwriting, just essentially writing about, people call it writing about men. And I think she kind of gets the same rap that Alanis gets, whereas people call Jagged Little Pill a really angry album. But like, if you look at it, like there's like maybe one or two angry songs on it. The rest are kind of like, you know, hopeful type songs. Um, I mean, for Christ's sake, Head Over Feet is a love song. So it's like, you know, it's not an entirely angry album. And every song that Taylor Swift is, writes isn't about, you know, guys, but it's where they focus. And it was something I hadn't really thought about that she would see Alanis as somebody whose songwriting style to look up to. A very personal, I've always felt that was Taylor's strongest strength. Was it her songwriting? It's very personal. Well, guess who else's songwriting is very personal? Alanis Morissette's. And this is probably someone that she grew up listening to and wanting to emulate, maybe in a different way. But I just thought that was interesting. It's something I just never even given a thought to. Even yeah. though their style of writing in terms of what they like to write about is very similar. So something I never thought about. Um, but it's not an angry album. And I know that that was something they kind of talked about in this documentary. Is that everyone's like, oh, yeah. this is an angry woman. And yeah, it's they, like, that just, ah, they just never got past you know? that song. They never got past yeah. you. Yeah. That's like, all. That ironic is not, you live, you learn, it's not, head over feet, hand in pocket. Like, none of these, these are not angry songs at all. So. They just never got past the first song. Yeah. That's all. Or people thought, oh, this is what the rest of it is. Like, people are so <laughs> stupid when it comes to listening to music. And this was just another example of that. Yeah. Um so uh the bandmates, um, their behavior on tour. <laughs> they were a little problematic, huh? <laughs> uh for them. Um for them getting it for their antics was very interesting, uh considered who they're who they're playing for. So uh, yeah. I wrote, what did she expect? And then right after that, she was like, I could replace them, but it'd just be five guys who do the same thing. So I think she kind of knew that this could happen. Yeah. And it was just like a calculated risk <laughs> that you just, you just literally hired, you know, five dudes in their twenties. That's what they're going to do, man. Like they're surrounded by women all the time. Yeah. Like, of course they're going to try to find out, find ways to hook up with them. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, you know, what do you expect? You know, <laughs> I was surprised. I was expecting to find out that she slept with one of them. Truthfully. You, what, what was that? 
One more time. I was honestly expecting to find out from this that she slept with one of them. Yeah. Um, and we got some Fleetwood Mac action going on here, you know? She kind of nipped that in the bud in the part we're discussing, like, where everyone got, where she hired the band. It was like, okay, once uh, it was established that there was nothing romantic, then we could just go out and play music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was nipped in the bud there. Um, so uh, with all the the criticisms of the, you know, with saying like it's such an angry album or anything like that, the mm-hmm. phrase corporate expropriation stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was trying to figure out what that actually meant. So if I had to take a guess, I would say maybe what we kind of saw with, you know, to make it really easy with grunge and how grunge was born of a subculture in the Pacific Northwest. You know, it was inspired by, you know, hard rock and and punk music from the late eighties and indie music, you know, with like, even like with the riot girl movement of, um, of the, of the eighties, and grunge music is born and it has this very distinct aesthetic, you know, and then corporate, once it gets big, corporations find a way to market that, you know, that aesthetic, basically like a, a flannel shirt that you might've gotten from a thrift store in, um, you know, Sammamish, Sammamish, Wisconsin, or not Sammamish, Wisconsin, what am I saying? And like Yakima or something might've been five bucks there. Now it's set a Nordstrom for a hundred. <laughs> That was a, of um I saw this uh comedian this clip the other day um with uh Carhartt clothing. Who I saw that as well. Who was that guy? I, I can't his remember name. his name. Uh but yeah, he's talking about how admit you weren't good with numbers. Admit <laughs> you weren't good with numbers or or um there were uh wheels beneath your living room. <laughs> <laughs> But now it's a, uh, it's this. No, he said that about Champion, but it's the same kind. Oh same, God, yeah, the that same, was hilarious. Um, yeah, the same, uh, the same idea that those were clothing labels for poor people, um, mm-hmm. and today they're hundreds of dollars. Um. So, um, in realizing this, and her talking about her. Um. Uh. Whatever, whatever it was that she went to, it wasn't you know detailed or anything. But her being abused essentially, um, mm-hmm. uh, when she was younger, and she's one of the rare. I kind of look at her as like she's a child star who made it out the other side. Hmm. She's still working on herself. She's still in therapy and all that. But from what we can see, she has made it out the other side. And you don't see yeah. that with a lot of child stars. You don't. You really don't. Um, but a lot of people don't look at her as a child star. Because they didn't know. <laughs> they, yeah. About our, our Canada days. Canada days. Excuse <laughs> me. Um. 
And then I guess as far as the responsibility or culpability and her wrestling with that, um, some people say, well, why didn't she say something? Why didn't she report this? And she did. From her perspective, she did say something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a quote. She said, women don't wait. A culture doesn't listen. Um, I thought that was a very powerful line. Yeah. The culture, women don't wait. Culture doesn't listen. Yeah. Um, and there was some talking about with the songs, how there's a lot of relatability and uh, her writing style, a lot of imagery, a lot of turns of phrases. And I've heard a lot of people talk about with the song ironic, how she used the word wrong or something or whatever. And the, um, yeah. And I like that. How they said, like, you're just, point. yeah, just listen to the song. Enjoy the moment. Like, stop. Ugh. It's like cinema sins. Like, just stop. <laughs> it's uh yeah. It kind of misses the point of what the, the song's actually about. Um, as far as good things happen, but at the wrong time or bad things mm-hmm. happen at the worst time, you know, Mm-hmm. It's it's more of something like that. Whether the 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 proper use, it's a proper use of the word. It should be like a who cares. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's not the that's not the exact point, you know. But whatever. Plus, isn't it unfortunate? Doesn't quite have the same, you know. Yeah, it's not as catchy. <laughs> doesn't have a. Yeah, isn't that it. unfortunate? Don't you think? Like that <laughs> do, just do doesn't too work. Too many too many syllables. Yeah, it just does not work. <laughs> um. Her touring in the, um, I wouldn't, I couldn't recall if that was the Philippines or somewhere in, in I Asia. think that was the Philippines. Yeah. Uh, the Filipina girls dressed like her. That would have uh, been creepy to me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that, like they had the long hair, they had the flannel, the Doc Martens or whatever shoes she might've been wearing. Maybe it Chuck almost Taylor's. felt like they were, cause I, I didn't know what year it was. But it felt like they were like different versions of her. <laughs> like there was like a short haired version. You had the the grungy with the beanie version of her. You know, the more adult version of her. Like, it was just funny. I was like, oh, it's all the Atlantis is like. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then they get to the end of the tour. Their last show is in Hawaii and. It's kind of, it's one of those things where it seems like you're in this moment and now it's the point where that moment's over. Yeah. What do you do? And, um, that was, I, I, I kind of hope they would delve more into that. Mm-hmm. Um, because that can change someone mentally. Um, well, or psych- psychologically, at the at the very least, that's what changes the yeah. end of this huge moment. I, what I found to be extremely interesting, and this goes back to a comment or note that I made here, where she's talking about like she's going through the Philippines and people are like rushing her, taking pictures and stuff. She's like people cutting her hair, and I wrote, "I want it to be this level of famous. I wonder if I could have handled it." And then when she gets to the end of the tour, I don't, what I didn't think about here in this instance is this fame and success came so fast 
it was like she left Canada. She moves to L.A. She meets Glenn Ballard. She writes that album, and boom, it doesn't stop after that. After she, after that album comes out, it's like almost instantaneous. She's yeah. like, I don't have a home. I don't have friends. Like her entire, I was like, crap. Like the only people that she's been a, with are Glenn, Glenn Ballard, and this band, and maybe like you know some A and Rs, but like not people that you could consider friends. Yeah. So like she's got to go find a place to live, <laughs> <laughs> and she's probably going to be lonely for a while because she doesn't have any real friends and anyone at this point. Like now you're one of the biggest female singers in the world. How can you trust? anybody and i was like damn could i do could and like i started to feel really sad for her because it's just like man like if that were me i probably want to be like y'all want to do this y'all want to go you want to go again y'all want to start this again because <laughs> you don't want to go home and face the fact that there's no one waiting for you you don't even have a house yeah. you got to go find a place to live you got to find an apartment you got to find something like that would have been mm, that would have been a nightmare to me I would have just been like, let's just stay out on the road. <laughs> let's just do it again. <laughs> I want to get back my families. Uh, families, uh, I really got one, you know? And it made me realize how important it can be to have a good, um, a good support structure, you know? And that's probably why, you know, not to take it to basketball, but that's what I know. It's probably why LeBron, someone like LeBron James has been so stable. He's got a family. Yeah. He's got a wife. He's got kids. He's got stability. You know, he's got after the season's over, he doesn't have to say, hey, let's go party. Let's let's keep this thing going. He goes to Savannah. He goes to Bryce. He goes to Bronny. He's got something there. He so can, he can go home. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe that exacerbated everything that she was going through. Yeah. You know, it's just her at home with her thoughts now. You know, because it doesn't seem like she had a great relationship with her family, you know, so um, that just really kind of made me think. I was like, that's that's a scary thought, man, because it all happened so fast. It wasn't like you had like, you know, the apartment you were living in and then you got famous, but you can at least come back to that apartment. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, what did you have? You had nothing, you know, so. So I think like I I, I think uh, I saw a clip where 50 Cent said something like that, like he had an apartment that he was still renting when get Richard die trying is blowing up and he's out on tour. <laughs> he still had that apartment. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, he went back home. He was at least able to go back to that apartment for a little while. Was it an apartment he'd want to go to? Like if you're like one of the biggest rappers in the world, do you really want to walk into like a brownstone in bed Like, <laughs> I think he, he said it was somewhere. It was in New Jersey. So okay. he, was, he wasn't going back home, home. <laughs> back home. Home, That's even weird. It's like, hey, yo, is that Curtis? That's that dude we shot nine times. Get him. Because, like, <laughs> you know, there's probably some people who still call him Curtis. <laughs> Curtis, is that, is that, where you been, bro? I mean, I just, I just came off a tour. Like, <laughs> tour? What? <laughs> Are you a stagehand? Like, at, at, at tour Afghanistan? Where is that? <laughs> like no, I'm I'm Fifty Cent. Huh? What? Huh? I kind of, I kind of see it. You kind of look like him. 
That's funny. <laughs> oh God. But yeah, that just but I say all that to say though, that was that was probably one of the more sobering moments of this. Um and you know, yeah, that's that that's crazy to me. Um, but I'm glad that she eventually made a life for herself. Yeah. Outside of just the music. You know. Um so in that moment where they, you know, have those those scary thoughts or whatever, don't know what's next. Some people have to make a decision. A, a quick decision. Taylor Hawkins finds out that the Foo Fighters are looking for a drummer. Mm-hmm. And he gets the job. Uh, so he leaves. And that is... I know that was a that was a tough decision. But when it's a situation when you don't know what's next, mm-hmm. you don't know how long it's going to be until the next album, the next tour. Yeah, because you're not a member of the band. She made that very clear. Yeah. Um, and I know that she's teetering on Billy Joel territory with that it comment. Was, it was Billy Joel at Billy Joel. You knew adjacent. what you signed up for. Like, ah, it was Billy uh. Joel adjacent. Like, yeah, they knew what they signed up for, but like, Jesus, show a little bit of empathy. Like, um, so yeah. And then of course, when he left, then she wants to get in her feelings. It's like, but you said that solo artist, we're backing you up. This wasn't permanent. I didn't play on this album. I didn't write any of these songs. I'm not getting royalties. I, I need I need work. Yeah. I heard that Richard Patrick guy down the street is selling pizzas, but that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I totally understand what you need, you know. It's the guy who's on a contract who's trying to get a, a, a long term deal. You know? Yeah, the um her next album was nineteen ninety eight. Yeah. Late nineteen ninety eight, so over three God. years. How intimidating would that be to, like, yeah, I'm gonna go drum for that band from the drummer from Nirvana. I mean, good luck, but um, but yeah, I just thought that was funny when she said it felt like betrayal, and I was like, you just said, you literally just <laughs> told them like, you're a, you're backing a solo artist, you don't like a kick rocks. You put you just put them in their place, and now they're going to another exactly, place. exactly, and you don't like it. So I I felt a little bit of hypocrisy there. I felt like towards the end, if we're strictly talking from a, a, a documentary standpoint, I felt she made some poor, um, she said some um, some not well thought out statements when she compared work to heroin. I thought that was a very bad, like it's, I get that, you know, there's some people that are addicted to work, but like, come on, like work and heroin are not the same. I get what she was trying to do, but just kind of a poor comparison. Then the whole betrayal thing, um, and it just really seemed, I think I know that she just seems really embarrassed about her early career. I don't know, like, I felt like after that last show and they showed her talking in the tub, like the documentary all kind of just went downhill from there. Like, it was like, they just didn't know how to end it, you know? Yeah. Because, and it, and it because honestly should have just been ended with the last show and just go. Yeah, because the they kind of mushed together that, you know, they, well, basically they skipped to, okay, she's got a family now. And mm-hmm. a new album or new song or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it kind of just skipped up to that. 
and um and then it just ends yeah okay there there's the anniversary edition i guess it'll be what the 25th year anniversary of the album um putting out on vinyl i did write down jack white bought all of those (laughs) (laughs) oh man um but yeah then it it kind of just ends there and um I think the focus was more on they made the majority the bulk of it about this album and a little bit about before then and not much after aside from what we can see um I think that was on purpose. I, there is, there was not to say there was a lot left on the table, but there is a lot that we don't know about her. And I think that was a, a, a that was a decision made um, as far as what would we actually talk about, what we would actually so, show. I am curious about that because I, I, I believe that as well. Apparently, she denounced this documentary. She does not like it Mm. and feels that she was tricked, essentially. Um, Her quote, I was lulled into a false sense of security and their salacious agenda became apparent immediately upon my seeing the first cut of the film. Um, This is when I knew. I think maybe she feels that there was more of a I think maybe she feels there was more of a focus on some of the abuse maybe she didn't like the way it was shown but she says that this is when i knew our visions were in fact painfully divergent this is not the story i agreed to tell i sit here now experiencing the full impact of having trusted someone who did not warrant being trusted like she wanted to tell more or she didn't want to tell any of it so and this is i, I think feel like it was it was just more implied like okay that happened but there were no like details mm-hmm. there were no names and it 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 was clear to me like okay it's mentioned but she has her reasons why she doesn't want to talk about it at least mm-hmm. in this documentary but maybe that that even shows there's even more to the story um mm-hmm. if she felt like this cut of the film was dishonest or misleading or anything like that yeah But there's a lot of stuff out there. I would suggest I I dug into it a little bit of it, but yeah, apparently she's just, yeah. But I think it has a lot to do with the Me Too movement and maybe how she feels they represented a lot of what happened to her when she was younger. Because I think one thing that is very clear from this, a lot of bad things happened to her. Um as a child star that she was not okay with and she's still processing some of it and unfortunately like it's still happening it it's still happening i mean like we we've heard about drew barrymore who was even earlier than Atlantis morissette we've you know we hear about just the things that are happening to it's just it's still happening so i think maybe she there was just something about that she maybe wanted to make clearer maybe communicate differently i don't know but that seems to 
the things I read about seem to focus around that piece of it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, anything else you want to add about this documentary? I hadn't, there's a lot of it at that so the album I had not heard. And I think it would be, I've, although I feel like we've kind of discussed it quite a bit here. I was just surprised we'd never done an episode on it before. So, yeah. I mean, it's one of the biggest albums of the nineties. One of the biggest albums ever by a female artist. Yeah. And as I'm listening, I'm like, oh, I've never heard that song. I recognize the singles, but like some of the other stuff I just did not recognize. So, yeah. All right. Um, Without well, do a far discussion on Jagged, uh, Lannis Moore said documentary. They said you can find it on Max as part of the Music Box series. Um, so, yeah, we get to uh, my earworm of the week. Uh, this is an artist that uh, like I said that Ben introduced me to and um, back in back in back at West Georgia. <laughs> and he's what's funny is that he's going to know what I'm talking about in a second. What's funny is that uh, this is a new song um, because he's known more for uh, re-recording his own his own songs in different mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. um, so this is part of a, a new project with a band called uh, Scary Pockets. And it's David Ryan Harris. And, oh, that guy. Uh, <laughs> that guy. And uh, this is, is it an EP or is it an album? Uh, yeah, part of an album called Pockets Presents David Ryan Harris. Uh, nice. I guess it's more of a, it's 10 songs. Five of them were live. And then, uh, and then it's five studio recordings. But okay. he does re-record one of his old songs <laughs> of course uh, he does he can't help it <laughs> uh but this song is called kerosene and um it came up on my uh release radar list last week and i, I like it so this funny is funny enough i think he's in atlanta this week <laughs> i think he is yeah yeah um so this is kerosene by david ryan harris and we'll be right back No, it's just slowly killing me. The bottles have my fingerprints on it. She still got my blood on her hands. Even if she don't know it, she is the reason I'm here. Looking for the stronger stuff. Bartender, fill my cup. It's time to keep hope alive and keep the fire going inside. I'm sipping this kerosene. Comes back to me. Yeah, we had a love like a candle, but I blew out the flame. See, I can be a hard one to handle. I'll keep 
Kerosene by David Ryan Harris and Scary Pockets. That's good. That's really good, man. I was just looking up the website now. The funk it's all funk reimaginings of his songs, like you were saying. So yeah, that's, mm. that's uh, wow. Yeah. Mm. So you mm. can find that on our BTTYT Earworms of the Week playlist. And um he will be actually no. He'll be in Atlanta next month. Okay, I just know that um, uh, I was talking with Trent. And he was talking about going to see him. We played a wedding this past weekend. That was fun. So, I got questions, but after the podcast, um, oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, that'll do it for this particular episode. Um. Well, we were talking about Jagged Little Pill. We started with um, All I Really Want. What should we end it with? Um, I think the best song on the album is Ironic. I would go with that, but that's just my opinion. um... All right, so we'll do that. We're going to end with Ironic by Lance Morissette. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will talk to you very, very soon. Peace. Isn't it ironic?